There awesome. we go. So there we go. Right. Um, I've been working around. So yeah. So let's let's get into it. Inside the Vatican secret archives. Let's go for it. Yes. So um, just to give so everyone knows what to expect, I'm going to do a little bit of a history about the Vatican itself. Not too long, just to give people a few a little bit of a uh, some frame of reference. Then we'll talk about the arch the secret archives themselves. And I mean, there's so much in the secret archives that, that it's it's hours and hours worth of podcasts. So I've picked nine of what I think are more interesting ones. Um, and then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Pope John Paul I, because no rabbit hole about the Vatican is complete without a little bit about him. Um, and yeah. That's that's the stage. So let's get started. Right. So the Vatican, also known as the Holy See or Vatican City State, is, as most people probably know, a city state inside of Rome in Italy. It's the smallest state in the world, both by area and population, spanning an area of approximately forty-four hectares, which is one hundred and ten acres, with a population of just over eight hundred. Vatican is the headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church and home to the Pope the Bishop of Rome, who serves as the worldwide spiritual leader of the Catholic faithful. Now, the origins of the Vatican can be traced back to St. Peter, which is, we're talking, oh, well, St. Peter was martyred in Rome in 64 AD, so 2,000 years worth of history, trying to sum that up into an hour-long podcast. Um, through the centuries, the papacy and thus the Vatican's influence grew with the increasing importance of the church in the lives of the Euro European people. I mean, everybody knows that Christians were completely persecuted by the Romans until Emperor Constantine converted the whole shooting match to Christianity. Um, there's been some pretty significant events in its history. You've got the Papal Schism which lasted from 1378 to 1470. And what I found amusing was that during this period, there were at least three different people that were claiming to be Pope at the same time. Schism? Um, that sounds a bit painful. Yeah. It does, but then there's quite a lot of, quite a lot of the words that chooses seem to, seem to be painful. I mean, we've, because we've got the, the Inquisition and I mean, it's, Whoa. it's, as no varied one, as, as you No one expects the Inquisition. Three <laughs> chief weapons are fear, surprise, and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry oh, yeah, on. Absolutely. Um, so over the years, the, the Vatican's political powers fluctuated, most notably affected by the Italian unification movement in the 17th century, which was when it went from being all city-states into being what we now know as Italy. Um, and since Rome was declared as Italy's capital in 1870, the Pope effectively lost control over the Papal States. Um, and because some of those states that made up Italy were actually um, controlled by the papacy. Um, and only maintaining authority over a small territory within Rome. Finally, in 1929, the Lateran Treaty was signed by Benito Mussolini, representing the Kingdom of Italy and Cardinal Pietro Gaspari for the Holy See. This treaty recognized the Vatican City as an independent sovereign entity and the conflict between the Italian state and the papacy was thus resolved. That was actually something I didn't know. I thought that the Vatican had always just kind of been the Vatican ever since Jesus or 
pizza or whatever. From Tate Memorial, as they say. Yeah, and, and, and the actual the Vatican that we know today is at current counting less than 100 years old. It was also in severe financial trouble back in the late 1920s. And one of the things that Benito Mussolini did, um, apart from giving them a whole bunch of money, was and creating the Vatican city-state, giving them tax-exempt status. Um, he also said that the Italian state would pay for the priests and stuff in Italy um, so that the Vatican didn't have to cover a whole bunch of salaries. That was decent. Um, one of the more significant of events at the Vatican in recent history was the Second Vatican Council, which took place from 1962 to 1965, um, which was an ecumenical council initiated by Pope John XXIII and continued by Pope Paul VI, um, introduced various reforms within the Catholic Church and tried to foster a spirit of unity among Christian denominations. Um, that was also where things they, they they kind of decided that things like birth control were um, kind of off limits, and some of the the more modern issues that the Catholic Church has had started there. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, the Vatican continues to play a vital role in the religious and cultural lives of people around the world. Um, so it's and it's probably people listening who are Catholics. And I would like to say at this stage that. At no point in this podcast am I intending to be disrespectful towards the church or the Pope or Jesus or Christianity or anything like that. Um, we're just diving down a rabbit hole, and, and I'm, I'm try, I've tried to be respectful of, of people's um, religious beliefs and stuff. Yeah. So it's not. Yeah, yeah, come I'm, on, I'm not come on. To, just yeah, get, no, get, get, to, with get to the chase. Get to the chase. Come on. <laughs> so jumping, the we're jumping that, at the bit here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. All right. We're getting there. Um, So that was a very brief history of the Vatican. Um, And now let's move on to there. You can see on the screen, that's that's essentially the world's smallest country Um, and the producer of much intrigue and all sorts of other things. I mean, some of the popes, if you if you actually delve into the history, um, some of the popes were properly mental. Mm-hmm. Seriously, mental, <laughs> yeah. um, and and had ridiculous amounts of power. Um, that was the the Pope and Mussolini when they signed the Treaty of um, the Lateran Treaty. So now we move on to the secret archives, which is one of the most heavily secured and fortified buildings on the planet. Um, the Vatican secret archives, known more officially as the Vatican Apostolic Archives is an iconic institution surrounded in mystery and intrigue. Established under the papacy of Pope Paul V in 1612, the archives have been an essential part of the Vatican's documentation and record-keeping for centuries. The vast collection, which spans over 85 kilometers of shelves, contains historical documents and materials that chronicle the history of the Roman Catholic Church and its impact on global events. One of the most significant events pertaining to the archives was actually its own creation, um, they were initially established to house, house the Holy See's official documents deemed necessary for the functioning of the church. But over time, the scope of materials has expanded, incorporating, incorporating state papers, letters, accounts, and other documents from various sources. And we use the term various very loosely. Van Helsing? Um, in 1880. 
Uh, well, yeah, who knows? Um, in 1883, Pope Leo XIII created the... Oh, here we go. The Scuola Vaticana di Paleografia. Graphia, uh-huh. Diplomatica e Archivista. Sorry, Italians. To train church officials, church officials in the specialized skills of documenting, preserving, and managing the archives. This move to open the archives up to a select group of scholars enabling rigorous studies and research. It was under Leo XIII's papacy that the apostolic library and secret archives were declared to be separate entities, each administering a distinct function. The archives, though referred to as secret, were not entirely closed off from the outside world. During World War II, for instance, Pope Pius XII granted the International Red Cross access to the archives. The documents provided evidence of the forced deportation of Jews helping excuse me, helping to track the fates of many who went missing during the Holocaust. This period also saw the city archives safeguarding priceless documents from European libraries and archives that are endangered during wartime. Throughout the 20th century, the archives continued to play a significant and tangible role in major historical events. In 1981, following an assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II, the archives were instrumental in identifying and capturing the Turkish gunman, whose name I totally can't pronounce, uh, Mehmet Ali something, by providing vital photographic evidence. Characterized by a steady and gradual opening up of the archives, the latter part of the 20th century saw the allowance of qualified lay scholars to access the archives on a case-by-case basis. In 2006, Pope Benedict XVI granted access to researchers of documents ranging from 1922 to 1939 pertaining to the pontificate of Pope Pius XI. People should know that um, each incoming pope is... One of the traditions is that they'll open up a certain section of the archives from one of their predecessors. Um, okay. So and, they, I mean, it's... It, they pop open a new archive. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. Um, Try to scab it this, here all week. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, in this case, um, the, the case that I mentioned uh, with Pope Pius XI, it was in response to allegations of anti-Semitism and revealed the Church's complex relationship with Nazism, Communism, and Fascism uh-huh. during the nascent stages of World War Two. Now, there's a huge amount of controversy relating to the, the Catholic Church his role in World War Two and their role in um, not necessarily supporting Hitler, but kind of supporting him. Um, and the excuse was that there's lots of Catholics in Germany, and if the Catholic Church went against Hitler, that uh, the Catholics in Germany would be in danger. And that was the, the reason given. Um, but uh, after the war, there's all sorts of rumors about... Um, the escaping Nazis who ended up in Argentina or Antarctica or wherever um, being transferred through the Vatican. Um, So, as people probably know, the Vatican secret archives have been the subject of countless conspiracy theories, thrillers, and works of fiction. Um, The archives serve not only as a repository of ecclesiastical documents, but also as a symbol of the Church's influence on politics, science, the arts, and human history as a whole. Right, right. Hold on, um, hold on. I've got questions. I've got questions. Right, I get two questions yeah, here. That I, I need, I need you to answer these questions. They might be on the, they might be on your presentation, but are they underground? Um, 
I would imagine that some of it is underground, but the archives themselves, they are an actual above ground right. building. Okay. As um, they are. I mean, obviously. Right. Go on, second question. Second question. Are the secret, secret archives? Like double secret I, archives, I if you will. <laughs> I well, given given some of the stuff because I've I've basically I've, I've finished the uh, the sort of brief intro to the Vatican archives. So as as you'll you'll see from some of the stuff that's about to come up, I would suggest that there are secrets. Yeah, archives. I think so. There's, there's probably there's, there are probably multiple doors labelled secret in that these archives. Sneaky Catholics. I mean, yeah, and the um, all of the I don't know how many people have seen the the um, uh, how does it the Da Vinci Code movie? Um, well, and who that hasn't? Has, who hasn't? Well, yeah, and and that that sort of um, was it? Is it that one? Yeah, it's that one that shows kind of the inside, what the inside of the archives might look like. Yeah, cause he goes because he goes down on the left. Got... That's why he wanted to know if it was underground. Because remember, he goes down on the left, and then it's all like you can't get back out and yeah. that kind of stuff. I, th I, th I think that was Hollywood, but to be honest, yeah. I, I couldn't say one way or the other because there there are scant pictures of the inside a, of the archives. It'll be a completely accurate representation. I mean, look what they did when they made that. I mean, look at what was that Sandra Bullock thing, which was on a special. Oh, gravity. Yeah, yeah, that was completely accurate. They only had the space shuttle going the wrong way around the Earth. <laughs> Well, it's not accurate because George Clooney didn't end up drifting off towards the sun. Yeah, which but they had, they had the ending. space shuttle orbiting and the space station orbiting the wrong way. <laughs> that's a yeah, kind of that's Hollywood. That's a kind of gross oversight, is it not? <laughs> um. Well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that's yeah. Hollywood for you. Yeah. So, so well, anyway, I, I have faith in the Da Vinci Code because, you know, Dan Dan Brown would be on the case. Dan Brown would be on the case. Not the thing about the Da Vinci Code is there's there's a bunch of threads of of history in there, and some of it is accurate, and it's mixed up with a whole load of stuff that probably isn't. I mean, yeah. it's the whole thing about Cathars and the bloodline of Christ. That stuff is all real. The yeah. stuff about the the priory of Sion, yeah, it's most likely um, not real. Well, you you got um, to remember so, it's, it's classified as fiction, so you know he's allowed to do that, isn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's there's a another book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail, mm -hmm. which if people are interested in in that stuff, is is worth a read. Um, so back to the archives, we've got in amongst all of the different things that are reported to be in there. Um, there are a few that I came across which I wanted to bring into the podcast because they seem to be, to me, to be the most fascinating. And the first of those is called the Chronovisor. Oh, the Chronovisor. Yeah, and this is not something that I'd even heard of yeah, until I, knew about this. I, knew about um, I started researching the podcast. Um, now, the coronavirus is, is supposed to be a device that is stored in, in the archives, um, and it's a subject of fascination amongst conspiracy theorists and paranormal researchers and enthusiasts, but also people interested in understanding the, the kind of limits of human technology and, and some of the things that have been invented that never really made it to the light of day for whatever reason. 
But the Chronovisor, according to various sources, is a device that enables its users to view historical events that occurred in the past or even foresee future events. It's often compared to a fantastical time travel machine or more importantly, a sort of time television type thing. And mm -hmm. the picture shows you Father Pellegrino Anetti, who's claimed to be the one of the people who created it based on previous knowledge. And, and he's... Um, he didn't claim to have invented it, but he he claimed to have built one with a number of other researchers. Um, and, yeah, it's, the, the device is said to be capable of capturing and rendering electromagnetic radiation left behind by past events, allowing the viewer to witness past occurrences in a visual and auditory manner. The idea behind the coronavirus gives rise to speculation, awe and disbelief as the prospect of viewing the past or future has been an eternal fascination for humans. Um, and, I mean, the theory, the, the, the sort of quasi-scientific theories behind it relate to the um, residual electromagnetic radiation. Um, the kind of, I've read it described a bit like a ship's wake, mm -hmm. where you can actually, if you're if you're looking for a ship at night, for example, mm -hmm. um, you can actually see the wake quite clearly, yeah. um, and it, it sort yeah. of leaves and and the 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 um, like ghost the disturbance, yeah, and and the disturbance and the turbulence in the water actually lasts far a lot longer than just the part of the wake of a ship that you can see, yeah, um, and and so the coronavirus claims to um, be able to pick that up. Now, I cannot attest to the accuracy of any of the images. Um, they're essentially just things that, that crop up consistently when one's searching for these things. See, I thought, now, though, legend, uh, I thought though that the coronavisor had, would have been ordered destroyed. Dismantled. Oh, dismantled. Supposedly. Yeah, well, some 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 say that um, Father Inetti and his team dismantled it, mm -hmm. and some say that he didn't, and that the Vatican have basically been using it, um, or nefarious forces have been using it to control the world. Because if you can control, if you if you can see the past and the future, then yeah, you've got a huge amount of power. But they're not done very now, well, are they? Uh, well, uh, not really, but on some level they kind of are because they've got a huge amount of power and control. Yeah, yeah but Italy's not doing very well. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the poorest countries in the EU. Remember, Italy was nearly uh, bankrupt a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that the Vatican really gives much of a toss about Italy. To oh. be perfectly honest. I, I just don't. I mean, because it's city state. It, it's the same thing as saying that the city of London cares about the rest of the UK, and they really don't. <laughs> what? And I realise that might be heresy to some. Oh, My maybe goodness. I'm just overly cynical. But you mean our politicians sure don't care for us? Uh, well, I'll let you work that one out. <laughs> yeah, I think I worked that one out a long time ago, mate. Right, carry on. Uh, Come on. So. Get on with it. Yeah, so the legend of the coronavirus dates back to the 1960s and 70s when a Catholic priest by the name of Father Pellegrino Inerti claimed to be one of the creators of the device. He was an accomplished and respected Benedictine monk, a physicist and musicologist. Father Inerti claimed that while working on the device to study and analyse musical, ancient musical recordings, he, along with a team of scientists, which allegedly include, allegedly 
included renowned scientists and uh, scientists uh, Enrico Fermi and German rocket expert Werner von Braun. But I should say there's no evidence to back that up. That's all. That's just Father Inetti talking. And at the end of the day, he could have been a complete whack job. We, I mean, one has to uh, kind of you look think? at these things with a yes. <laughs> um, but instead, supposedly, the technology was invented accidentally. Um, and Father Inetti stated they were able to witness historical events such as the crucifixion of Jesus, the assassination of Julius Caesar, and several other influential episodes in human history. Um, well, what was he trying to invent? Um, well, he was. They were trying to. They were studying and analysing ancient musical recordings, um, and and they were essentially trying to play these recordings, I guess, and trying to create a device that um, that could play them somehow. And stumbled across this coronavirus. It's all a bit murky. Um, let me just see. I've got another link up here where I've got a little bit more history. Um, yeah, it worked by detecting and re reproducing residual electromagnetic radiation and sound waves left, by, left behind by past events. In other words, the device was able to lock onto sights and sounds humanity had made in the past that continued to float through space. Um, using the coronavirus, Inetti claimed to have observed French conqueror Napoleon, the Roman philosopher Cicero, the performance of the lost play Theestes by Roman poet Quintus Ennius, and perhaps not surprisingly, the, Jews, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, and he said, we saw everything, the agony in the garden, the portrayal of Judas, the trial, cavalry. That was a quote from Father Inetti. Um, he got the idea for the coronavirus when he heard a recording of a fellow priest's late father and started wondering all about the sights and sounds that humans make. Do they disappear or do they continue to exist in some way? Um, and this is when he approached some famous people um, and they created the device. Right. Um, he said eventually they decided to dismantle it. Now, the, this picture, supposedly we've got a couple uh -huh. of pictures. One of one of them is has kind of been debunked, which is the one on the right. Yeah. Um, which is, the, the, there's two pictures on the right of the screen. The left-hand one of those pictures was supposedly a picture taken from the chronovisor. Yeah. And the right-hand one is uh, is essentially the debunked version, right. which oh, oh, oh. is... Hold on. Th that right-hand one is from the Sanctuary of Merciful yeah. Love in Colavalenza right. in Italy. Okay, okay, I've got that. That's fine. But that's the left-hand one. What's Noel Fielding doing in it? <laughs> uh, well, that is supposedly... <laughs> Taken by the coronavirus, um, and that that is Jesus. <laughs> Hold on, is Jesus the so, guy with the big hair who looks like Russell Brand? I think Jesus is second from the left. Yeah, so the guy, wrong the guy on the right, is no fielding, is he not? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I, well, I, I don't even know if it's real. Um, it's one of if you if you go if you go hunting for pictures from the coronavirus, yeah. it's one of the ones that came up. Right. So the question the question you've got to ask is if this thing works, right? Okay. Who went back to see God given um, what's his name the tablets? 
Uh, it's not mentioned. I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, yeah, it's I mean, come on, come on. You're meant to be religious people. You're meant to be religious, and you don't go back well, to see the event that started the whole thing. See these guys. These maybe, guys are amateurs. It, amateurs. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe it didn't. It didn't come up in my research. I, I can't. I can't claim to have researched the, the subject exhaustively, um, just because of a lack of time. Um, there are many unanswered questions surrounding the coronavirus. Um, there's a lack of concrete evidence. The, the Vatican say what coronavirus are and, and kind of walk off chuckling. Well, that's, that's like the um, Kremlin. That's like the Kremlin right now. You know, you say, where's the motion in the go? Who? <laughs> 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 I, have, I have no information. I have no information about that man. Ah, oh dear. Now, I don't know why Annette. I put that in Indian there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the beer, but you're drinking Peroni, so you would think you'd start speaking with an Italian accent. It's not. It's don't, not don't the, do that. It's not the beer. <laughs> right. I get um, on with this. So, Father Annetti, before his death in 1994, reportedly admitted that the photograph of Jesus Christ was a hoax, but maintained that the coronavirus was real. Um, in contemporary times, the legend of the coronavirus still sparks debates and mysteries, while re remaining an alluring mystery from both a scientific and a metaphysical standpoint. Um, Although Annetti never produced any part of the machine itself, he was persuaded to provide other forms of proof, one of which was the complete text of the play Theestes, which I'd never heard of until that point, which Annetti said he had transcribed while watching the play through the chronovisor, and a photograph Annetti had taken of Jesus on the cross, which he's already admitted was fake. Um, now, today, what, conspiracy what, theorists what were, those, that, what were those other things you mentioned? Uh, the the photograph that he took of Jesus. No, no not the photograph. Is, the other uh, things, the things before that. The complete, the complete text of the play Theestes. Right, and and which is some. Has this never been? This has never been found before. Apparently, is that true? But uh, yeah, it's it, it's some um, lost. And has anyone examined play. this? Has anyone examined the text of it to see if it kind of conforms with the period? The the, the, you know, the, in fairness, you don't. Know. I have no idea. I, I, I didn't. I didn't take it any further. Than I see. That. I, th I thought you were. A um, good, I thought you were a good researcher. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we've only got an hour. Ben, Ben, or a bit. This is. We're probably. We're probably going to run over. Fire up the freezer. <laughs> we're going to have to put this one in cold storage. <laughs> um, now there are people who think that this chronovisor was seized by the Vatican. And it's still being used to secretly control governments and their economies all over the world. And that the fearsome dictatorship that Annette warned about when asked what the future holds um, is potentially the Vatican itself. But who knows? I mean, one, one only has to look at the current pope and his... Um, uh, it's allegiance to wokeness. That, uh, yeah. About yeah. That. The whole thing's so about... That was the... That was the chronovisor. The next thing that is rumoured to be in the archives is the true identity of the Antichrist, oh. um, which obviously has been an enigmatic and controversial subject that has intrigued scholars, theologians, conspiracy theorists, and pretty much everybody else. Now, where the, the Bible is supposedly the, the, the primary source for all things related to the end times prophecy, 
And it has often been said that the Vatican's secret archives hold the key to deciphering the true identity of the Antichrist. Um, the mysterious figure designed to, is, well, is destined to emerge as a sinister global leader and has been prophesied in the book of Revelation to be the embodiment of evil, deception and destruction. Now, if you ask me, we've got a few of those in the world at the moment, but I don't know if this if this is a worse one. Anyway, um, so the archives host many ancient and confidential documents dating from the 8th century and are only accessible to a select group of scholars and researchers. However, within those secret uh, tapestry-like halls, it is believed to be the truth behind the identity of the Antichrist, um, and it's potentially buried in centuries-old dusty parchments, although there's no dust in those parts of the archive. Um, rumours have circulated for <laughs> centuries, suggesting that the Vatican has been well aware of the, the Antichrist's true identity, but has intentionally withheld this information from the public. Um, well, there, there may not have been a specific... Why are you laughing? <laughs> well, we've had, two, we've had two solutions from the chat already. We've had uh, Keith... Keith Starmer, or alternatively Jeremy Hunt. I, I would personally go for Jeremy Hunt. He's more likely to Christ than Keith, I think. <laughs> well, I, I actually, um, as part of my research, I'd been, I was, uh, it was last weekend, and I actually got ChatGPT to tell me, um, to give me 10 reasons why Bill Gates was like the Antichrist, and it gave me all ten reasons. And then at the end, it said, "It should be it should be noted that Bill Gates is not the Antichrist, and you shouldn't really be comparing him to it." Well, at least it gave me the reasons, reasons why he was. Yeah. Um, now, where where were we? Um, well, while there may not have been a specific name attributed to the Antichrist, it is alleged that the Church has long been privy to certain characteristics origins and paths to power that this enigmatic figure would possess. Okay, he's going to be One bad. Theory. He's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, but maybe maybe slightly more specific. Yeah, go on. I don't know. Sorry, go on. Uh, one, theory, one theory on his identity is said to be contained within the Vatican's vaults points to the main, the man being of Jewish origin, born to a non-virgin mother and embodying the number 666 in some way. These claims are based on various interpretations of prophecies in biblical scripture, but have led to countless speculations on how such a figure would rise to prominence in modern times. Another document allegedly stored in the Vatican secret archives provides a surprisingly detailed description of the Antichrist's physical appearance and charismatic personality. According to this ancient text, the Antichrist is said to be an attractive and eloquent speaker, who would captivate and deceive the masses with ease. And that was where I kind of lost it with the whole Bill Gates is the Antichrist, because he's none of those things. No, he's not. Uh, furthermore, it is believed that his unrivaled ability to manipulate others would make it effortless for him to obtain political power across various nations. Uh, well, his, Bill Gates has got political power. Well, not political power, he's got a lot of power. Um. But the notion of the Antichrist having a connection to modern politics and world leaders has long been a staple of end-time prophecies. Within the Vatican's hidden archives, there supposedly exists a wealth of evidence which suggests such a figure might already be in power or may soon rise to prominence through political manipulation, economic crises, or war. This alleged nefarious political connectivity has led many to believe that the Antichrist and his secret society 
may have deep ties to leading world organizations, banks, or even the Vatican itself. Some even argue that the church's closely guarded secret is an attempt to maintain control over world affairs and hide its unwitting alliance with the Antichrist. Mm. A collection of esoteric writings from early Christian mystics has also been speculated to exist within the Vatican's secret archives, which may hold the key to the Antichrist's defeat. According to scholars who have studied these generational prophetic texts, the final battle between good and evil will be waged in the spiritual realm, culminating in the Antichrist's fall from power and ushering in a new age of peace. Oh, well, and that's I've okay heard, then. I've heard, well, I've heard so many people saying that at the moment we're in, uh, I mean, the final battle between good and evil will be waged in the spiritual realm. That, well, that kind of, to me, let, that kind of sounds like what's happening at the moment. Yeah, let me pause you just there for a minute, just for, for a, sure. a brief, a brief minute, if I may, um, Ed, in, in this enthralling episode of the Vatican Secret Archives, um, and and we'll say goodbye to Twitter. I'm sorry, but but it's. Bye bye Twitter. If you want to keep watching, come bye on bye over Twitter. to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash chasing descent official. Bye bye. And they're gone. And should anyone wish to donate to us and to keep these fantastic and enthralling episodes, these treatise of of the arcane, then please feel free to drop us something at ko-fi.com forward slash chasing descent or patreon.com forward slash chasing descent. And in particular, hang about tomorrow night when something new hits the streets. You'll be intrigued. Please go on. Excellent. Well, that sounds about interesting about tomorrow. I'll make sure I check that out. So... The next one that we're going to go to is the third secret of Fatima, which you think, Ed, what the hell, who is Fatima? Yeah, who is Fatima? What the hell's going on? But Fatima is not a place, it's a town in Portugal in 19... And, and oh, the story hold on. You starts said, in 1917. Hold on, you said Fatima is not a place, it's a town. Uh, no, it's not a person. Right, okay. So Fatima is a town in Portugal. It, okay. Yeah, not a person. Right. Um... And it's also one of the most intriguing mysteries within the Catholic Church. Now, three shepherd children, Lucia, Jacinta, and Francisco, reported a series of Marian apparitions, which is uh, uh, when you see the, the Virgin Mary. Right, okay. Near the town of Fatima in Portugal. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Yep, yep. Um, the three secrets were sudden, sudden, subsequently revealed by Lucia or Lucia, I think it's, I don't know, L-U-C-I-A. Lucia. I, I might have to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I, th I think Lucia's good. Right, we'll go with that. It sounds um, good. She, it sounds authentic. Yeah, Lucia sounds good. Um, yeah. But she claimed to have received them directly from the Virgin Mary. Okay. Um, while the first two secrets were disclosed and widely publicized, the third secret became the subject of widespread conjecture, rumor, and suspicion after the Vatican decided not to reveal it to the public which is the first one that got me. I, I, I don't know. It's like, why would you give two out and not the third one? Mm -hmm. um, the first two secrets, well, I'll, I'll keep going and it might, it might become clearer. Um, the first two secrets involved a vision of hell with prediction of the end of World War One and the beginning of World War II. Okay. It also foretold the need for a conversion of Russia 
mm-hmm. um, as well as offering a prophecy that when a great sign appeared in the sky, it would be a signal for the beginning of another punishment upon humanity from God. So it's the third secret. Hold on, hold on. Just to clarify, that conversion of Russia would have been the Russian revolt of 1917, would it? Uh, Well, I I think in this particular case, it's talking about the the conversion of Russia to uh, Catholicism. Oh, right, but... Yeah, but it was Russian or Orthodox Russian Church. Uh, It is, but the, the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox... Church are different. They have right. okay. lots and, and lots of differences. I, I know I'm being a bit annoying tonight, but I don't know an awful lot about this, so I'm asking questions. And, and one of the questions that's eaten away at me that's just come to me, and I think, how, how, how does someone that lives in the Middle East come up with the name Mary? Uh, you don't know. That's a very good question. <laughs> anyway. It might be, but the thing is, the thing is that it, that might just be the English translation because yeah. I'm uh, sorry. it's like Jesus's name in it because people wouldn't have called Jesus Jesus; they would have called him Yeshua. Yeah, because that's yeah. the that, or, that's the Hebrew or Jesus. Version. So there's probably a Hebrew version of no Jesus. That's Spanish. <laughs> Or Mexican, <laughs> no, um, but it's just, it's probably the same with Mary, like Maria or something. Yeah, I'm I not know, sure. What the, I've been I've um, been obsequious. Anyway, right, yes, do carry on. Like, do carry like on. Facetious. Thank you. Um, now, the speculations, the speculation surrounding the third secret of Fatima has led many to believe that it contains apocalyptic warnings, including predictions of widespread disaster or cataclysmic events. However, the church has kept this. Contents of secret close, contents of the secret close. Sorry, um, only sharing it with a select few individuals. So there are some people who know it. Since then, there has been much debate about what exactly the secret might reveal and when the prophecy would be fulfilled. In 2000, under the direction of Pope John Paul II, the Vatican released what it claimed was the full text of the Third Secret Fatima. This version described a vision of a bishop dressed in white who was shot and killed while attempting to escape a ruined city. While the Vatican has maintained that the Third Secret was fully revealed in this text, some experts and conspiracy theorists believe that the Church has withheld important details regarding the prophecy. The alleged hidden portions of the Third Secret involve apocalyptic scenarios and dire warnings for humanity. Some claim it predicts events such as the assassination attempt on Pope, Pope, Pope John Paul II, the rise of atheism, secularism, and an increasing loss of faith worldwide. Um, additionally, some argue that the third secret reveals information about a great uh, uh, chastisement or tribulation, which would involve intense suffering and devastation. It's also rumored that the secret archives... coming to-, to pass? That's what's happening right now. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it could. I, I, I was when I was reading this stuff, I was thinking of um, Ben Davidson's catastrophe cycle, um, and Ben is yeah. Uh, he's yeah, he's the guy that runs uh, Suspicious Observers yeah. YouTube channel, um, and maybe the third secret of Fatima's prediction of of that. Who knows? Or it could be um, the impending nuclear war. Uh, well, there there are those who claim that the actual contents of the third secret are so terrifying that the church decided to keep it hidden from the public to avoid causing widespread panic. Oh, there we go. Um, according to this belief, the church may be withholding vital information about the end of the world or catastrophic events that would drastically alter the, cost, the course of human history. 
Um, so that's the third secret of Fatima. And I encourage any listeners who are interested, and if, if something that we're talking about strikes a chord, then do go off and do your own research, which people should do anyway. Um, and yeah, if you find anything interesting, come and find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the next one, and we're before we go to the next one, we're going to get through nine. Hold, hold on, before we go on to the next one, um, David Peacock has joined us from Malta, and he says your pronunciation of Lucia is correct. So that's that's excellent. Um, Malta, great place. Been to the, I love been it. To, love Malta. Um, Gozo, cool. Diving in Gozo and, was amazing. Uh, did you go down to the statue? Did you dive down to the statue? No. Oh, did you not dive into a little statue of Jesus? It's no, like, it's I've only like, got a day and a half diving. Oh, God, it's like, um, it's like diving down to... Um, it's like diving... You know the statue of the Christ the Redeemer? It's like diving down to that, except you're underwater and it's tiny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really oh, good dear, fun. <laughs> anyway. But, I mean, Malta's but, fantastic. Malta goes on the list because... All the mega, mega, megalithomania around Malta and the catacombs and all that. So Malta's, Malta's a possibility for a deep dive at some point. That could be fun because there's, yeah. there's, there's a bunch of ancient stuff on Malta that we could talk about. There's a rabbit even, hole there for sure. Be even better if we could get um, out I'm there and stream the it live. Yeah, well, you know what? Got... You know what? Right, let's have fun, right? Don't don't knock yourself out trying to 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 get through it in an hour. If you need a little bit of extra time, that's fine. Or if you think um, if you think it's it's we're we're only going to get halfway, then we'll reconvene next week, and we'll keep. Yeah, yeah we can do that. You we, know, we, so, we'll see if if people are still interested because we're on. We've just done secret number three of the nine that I yeah. found, and then I mean, to be honest, Pope John Paul the first actually really deserves a rabbit hole of his own. Yeah. Um. And okay. and if you wanted, I mean, if we wanted to go again next week, then oh. I believe that I'm free, and we could probably do the Pope John Paul. And I mean, I can. Uh, I with the rest of the um. The secret archive things I wanted to cover. Um, mm. We can we can keep going and we'll see how far yeah, we get. Okay. I have been I have been abbreviating things a, yeah, a well, little bit, so right. I'll, I'll do a bit more of that. Right. So 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 relax, relax onto a bit, relax onto a bit. And uh, oh, no, I'm, I mean I'm completely relaxed. And, yeah, I could talk. I could go on talking until the wine and, runs out. You know me. And the other thing is, um, we were originally scheduled for last week, so you've come in early this week. So the you know that week's still clear for you to go. So but no problem. Okay. Cool. Excellent. So we've done the secret of lost the third secret of Fatima. The next one is the lost gospel of Judas. Um, which given Judas's kind of how most people think about him, the first time I came across this. You, you're almost. I mean, I'm not a Christian. I'm not. I'm not one of the faithful or anything like that. But I do know Christian history, and it, it's. I mean, I was brought up in a in a Christian society, so the name Judas is one that you know. I didn't realise that there was Gospel of Judas, um, but it's an ancient document shrouded in mystery and conspiracy, um, and is another thing that's said to be held in the archives. Um, it dates back to the second century CE during the formative years of Christianity, obviously. Um, and it offers an alternative perspective on one of the most well-known stories in religious history. Um, it is believed to be 
that contain the account of Jesus's last days through the eyes of Judas Iscariot, thereby challenging traditional Christian narratives and casting Judas in a new light. Um, obviously, it's a stark contrast to the portrayal of Judas as the calculating traitor in the canonical New Testament Gospels. The text allegedly presents him as Jesus's most trusted and beloved disciple. Jesus Christ Superstar, the movie kind of did that as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe there was some inspiration from yeah. um, some of the rumours of the Lost Gospel. And, yeah, could well be. And I mean, again, I mean, with... You know the whole um, the whole gospel thing and, and the the Gnostic gospels and the, and the Gnostic gospels and all that. The whole thing's like um, it's a it's a big rabbit hole in itself, and there's so much information out there that's been hidden from us that we don't know about. I mean, what happened to the lost library of Alexandria? You know, I mean, how much information exactly. did we lose? It's it's just mm-hmm. like we. we, we just, I mean, I even found out the other day that there's good evidence to suggest that. We're actually um, we're not as far on as we should be because there is evidence to suggest that there's 700 years missing. I.e., we've added 700 years to the calendar that shouldn't have been added. Um, I've heard that too, but I yeah. also have um, a friend that's... who may who may well be listening who translates um, Latin texts, yeah. and, and he's he's studied medieval uh-huh. medieval history of of King John and he's translated all of the text and he when presented with this missing history argument says <laughs> it's not there it's all there well yeah but it's, it's been, not he's been it's reading not, it it's not just in text that's the thing it's, it's in physical it's in the physical uh, geology so there's, mm-hmm. there's there's a whole thing to be examined there. I mean, it, it might end up being a rabbit hole at some point. But you know, let's let's go back to to tonight's rabbit hole. And sorry, Ed, you carry on. No, no, it's fine. I, 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 they're all fascinating tangents. Um, but as you said a minute ago, the, the lost gospel of Judas was um, discovered in the early 20th century um, in uh, parchment fragments discovered in a cave in Egypt, um, and the manuscripts were written in Coptic, which is an ancient Egyptian script derived from the Greek alphabet. Um, and over the years, documents are subject to extensive scholarly examination and analysis, and alongside intense speculation in regards to the source of the ancient codex in Egypt, or possibly possibility of fabrications. Um, many researchers, including influential scholar Bart D. Ehrman, question the legitimacy of the Gospels and suspected it to be a forgery or heretical work created by segments of the early Christian community. So, uh, and it, it's the same, the, 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 the Gnostic Gospels and everything else, It's everyone's been arguing about them ever since mm-hmm. they came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what made the documents even more enigmatic was the notion of the lost Gospel of Judas having been acquired by the Vatican in a cloak-and-dagger operation to prevent it from falling into the hands of those who sought to undermine the foundations of the Christian faith, which I could oh. believe. Um, and now, whether or not the Vatican possesses yeah. a copy um, is... It, I mean, the Vatican, again, they'll just say uh, no. Yeah. Um, but again, it, I mean, it's, it's oh. a different understanding, and one of the things that... I, I had bet, to. I had to get my head around. I bet Nicola Sturgeon's rabbit like, holes. I bet Nicola Sturgeon's related to someone in the Vatican because she keeps saying, "I can't even recall." 
Uh, yeah, but they, well, uh, I, no, let's just not start talking about her. How about that? I know, I know, I know what it does yeah. to your blood pressure, John. <laughs> I've got excellent um, blood pressure, believe it or not. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> no, that's good. That's probably the beer's probably helping with that. It's usually around um, about one twenty or one between one fifteen and one twenty over seventy-five. That's good. Mm-hmm. For an old guy, that's good. So, yeah, definitely. Right, so that was the Lost Gospel of Judas. Um, the next one is the Gospel of Eve, um, which is another elusive and controversial text, purportedly a part of the numerous hidden treasures in the archives. Um, and it offers a unique perspective on the Genesis story, redefining the conventional interpret- interpretations of biblical narratives particularly those concerning the first woman, Eve, and her role in the fall of humanity. According to some scholars who have attempted to study the limited fragments available, the Gospel of Eve is likely a product of the Gnostic Christian sects that flourished during the 2nd and 3rd centuries CE. Gnostics were considered heretical by the mainstream Christian church due to their beliefs in secret knowledge, Gnosis, and in essentially dualist theology. Um, Their writings and texts, which incorporate the distinctive Gnostic worldview, were usually deemed blasphemous and systematically destroyed, leaving behind scant and fragmented material evidence. Probably one of the reasons why they hid their scrolls in a cave in Africa. Um, Now, amidst the sea of conjecture and debate, the Gospel of Eve offers alternative perceptions about the Genesis story that stand distinct from the canonical account in the Hebrew Bible. As the name suggests, this alternate gospel centers around the figure of Eve, exalting her as a symbol of wisdom and presenting her origins through a uniquely feminine lens. Some interpretations indicate that the theology entwined in this ancient text implies that Eve's actions in the Garden of Eden were not of sin and deception, but rather an attempt to attain spiritual illumination and empowerment. The fragments of the Gospel of Eve that have been discovered also defy conventional beliefs about gender roles and sexuality in the early Christian period. They suggest the text might promote gender equality and espouse a more liberated view of sexuality, a far cry from the patriarchal lens through which the church has typically viewed such issues. Mm-hmm. Evidently, this unorthodox and radical perspective would have been deemed by the church as a seismic threat to their status quo, which made the destruction subsequent concealment of the gospel inescapable. Um, the consequence of the clandestine existence of the gospel of Eve, the question of whether it genuinely does reside within the archives, is, is unsubstantiated. We, we just don't know. Um, and, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of depressed and heretical Christian texts. People have to remember that in 346, I think it was 346, the Council of Nicaea, they effectively created Christian faith, and the Holy Roman Empire got all of the Christians, all of the top Christians together, and said, "Right, you lot, stop arguing, work out what it is you're going to do, and then we're going to we're going to do it." Um, and so they spent a long time arguing about what text to include and what not to include and mm-hmm. I mean that was where the, the divinity of Jesus himself was decided because there are um, and there, there were Christian sects who 
didn't think that Jesus was um, the, the the sort of the son of God and and had this whole um, divine thing that he was just um, a great man who did great things yeah. and that that but that he was a man and and it was the I think it was the Council of Nicaea. Hopefully, I've got that right. I really hope I've got that right. Anyway, um, but they basically decided on Jesus' divinity, and he's the Son of God, and he was resurrected, and and that kind of thing. But there's a lot of Christian texts out there, and I was talking to the same friend I mentioned a minute ago last night, uh-huh. um, and and some of the, the things that he was talking about were were crazy in terms of what what some of these early Christian sects um, actually believed. But so. Really? So they any different? Were they really any any more crazy than what people believe these days? Who knows? And I mean, if you if you think about the way that the the progression of the church has happened, mm-hmm. they were deciding stuff about Jesus's life three hundred years after he was dead. So, I mean, because yeah. the, the, the Nicaea that was three forty six, and that's like three hundred and forty odd years after the birth of Christ that they're, they're sitting down talking about. Right? Was he was he the son of God, or was he just a man? Or yeah. and and I mean, it was supposedly very lively arguments. Um. But the, the thing, and the problem that we've got with the Gnostic texts is that they're obviously parchment, and yeah. although remarkably intact, there are things like the the Gospel of Eve that they're just too too damaged to really know, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff around it is is just guesswork. Um, yeah. uh-huh. But it's 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 an interesting one. I, one of the reasons I chose it is because I think that one of the issues I've always had with Catholicism is they completely undermine and denigrate the role of women generally. Um, and well, I don't necessarily, I just think... Don't most religions? more equal. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's one of the, maybe not Buddhism quite so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly islam and christianity but then theoretically they they supposed to supposedly apply the same sorts of rules to the men because if you look at islam it's not just women that have to dress conservatively the men have to as well um but the men being the men the, the rules don't necessarily apply quite as strongly or something i i don't know i'm not yeah. i'm not a religious person so i don't i don't really understand any of it that much certainly not from lived experience Okie dokie. So the next one is... You carry on. How about destiny. Oh, no, that was the third secret, Fatima. I've been missing the slides. So you've gone through a spear of destiny. Judas. Lost oh, both well, Eve. Hold a second. I'm just visiting the fridge, okay? Yeah, no problem. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, listeners, now I've got you on my own. Excellent. Right, so the next one, spear of destiny, which is supposedly also known as the Holy Lance. Um... And is through history, it's captured the imagination of kings, conquerors, and even Adolf Hitler, who sought to possess the relic for their own power. Rumors abound that the Vatican's, mm. Vatican has concealed the Spear of Destiny within its archives, shrouding its origins and significance in even greater mystery. Um, it's believed by many to be the same lance used by a Roman centurion named Long- Longinus. Longinus? to inflict the mortal wound on Jesus Christ during his crucifixion. 
In the Gospel of John, it is recorded that a soldier pierced Jesus' side with blood and water pouring forth. The act of stabbing Jesus was not merely an act of cruelty or desecration, but rather served a practical purpose to confirm his death before allowing his body to be removed from the cross. According to legend, Longinus was blind in one eye, one eye, and after piercing Jesus' side, the blood and water that flowed from the wound touched his impaired eye, miraculously restoring his sight. Astonished by this divine intervention, Longinus would later become a Christian and a martyr, giving birth to the veneration of the Holy Lance as a powerful Christian relic. Various accounts claim that possession of the Spear of Destiny would grant its wielder an immense amount of power, both political and military, rendering him invincible in battle. The journey of the Spear of Destiny through history is a fascinating and convoluted tale. After the crucifixion, the lance is said to have been passed through the hands of various Roman emperors. It is said to have been in the possession of Constantine the Great, who attributed his who attributed his military successes to the power of the Holy Lance. From there, the spear passed through the realms of European royalty, eventually finding its way into the Habsburg imperial treasury in Austria. The spear's allure was not lost on Adolf Hitler, who during the Anschluss in 1938 acquired the relic and brought it back to Germany. At the conclusion of the Second World War, American soldiers discovered the spear in Nuremberg and returned it to Austria, where it remains on display in Vienna. However, some believe that this is in fact a replica, and the true spear of destiny was spirited away by the Vatican to be hidden within the walls of their secret archives. These enigmatic archives are said to house a treasure trove of ancient and forbidden... We knew that because we're covering it, sorry. Um... The idea that the Vatican is concealing the Spear of Destiny is rooted in conspiracy theories and speculation, but the secretive nature of the Vatican, which has been marred by controversies and scandals throughout history, only serves to fuel the imaginings of those who seek hidden truths. The belief in a cover-up by the Vatican seems to be a tantalizing thread for many enthusiasts of religious artifacts unfolding a fascinating narrative where the inclusion in the Dan Brown novel Surprised he hasn't done one about the Spear of Destiny. So, so Hitler had the Spear of Destiny. Yeah, well, supposedly it's the it's been traced all the way to Austria, and, and yeah. it's on it's on display in Austria, and, and theoretically Hitler had it. Right now, whether that was the actual thing, I mean, there's nothing that I could find about when it was supposed to have been replaced with a replica. So is the Spear is of that, Destiny, is it a complete item or is it in bits? As far as I know, it's a complete item. Right, okay. Because I, I thought some of it had been broken up. and Some people claimed it, to, to have To be honest, after 2,000 years, it, yeah, well, I mean, after 2,000 years, I can't yeah. imagine that if it was a wooden spear that the, that the wood necessarily would have survived completely intact because it would it would dry out and everything else mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that was the spear of destiny okay. next up is that surprise, one that I hadn't heard surprise about? Zelensky's not asked for it <laughs> <laughs> he probably has in secret it wouldn't surprise me I could I have the spear of destiny please Mr. Pope <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you'll you have to give us the spear of destiny in order for Ukraine to win. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Sorry. 
Now, dating back to ancient Hellenistic Egypt, Hellenistic uh-huh. being uh, Greek, um, when yeah. when the Greeks ruled, ruled Egypt, yep. the Emerald Tablet has been shrouded what, in mystery and rumour for centuries. What, what time period would that have been then, when the Greeks ruled Egypt? Hellenistic Egypt. Oh, one second. Well, you're gonna have to look it up. Well, you carry on. I'll look it up. I've got I've got I've got devices here that let me talk to people on the interwebs. So <laughs> you carry I've on. I've already done it. Oh, right, okay. You're better than I am then. Uh, 305 BC to 30 BC. All right, okay, cool. Um, you, you don't really think of the Greeks getting around in those time periods, do you? You know, the way I mean, that's down in North Africa, that's that's pretty cool. And yeah, then, no, uh, I mean, of course, the Greeks, the, you can't remember Cleopatra was Greek, wasn't she? Or did she just take it Greek style? No, I think I she was sorry. Greek. I think she was Greek. We've, we've had we've, we've had we've had quite a lot of controversy about Cleopatra, thanks to Hollywood. So let's just not go there. Yeah. Okay. No, I think she was Greek. Now, yeah. <laughs> so the Emerald Tablet is said to be imbued with esoteric wisdom that holds the key to the transmutation of metals and the secret to eternal life, epitomizing the ultimate ambitions of alchemists throughout history. Though there's no concrete evidence of its existence, the enigmatic tablet has captured the curiosity and fascination of scholars and mystics and treasure hunters alike. The origins of the Emerald Tablet are steeped in myth, clouding the boundary between reality and fabrication. Some accounts suggest that the tablet may date as far back as the lost city of Atlantis, while others argue that it was penned by the hand of Hermes Trismegistus. Sorry, I probably mangled that. The purported founder of Hermetic philosophy, who is believed to be an amalgamation of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. Thoth? Thoth? Thoth. Never know how to pronounce that. Thoth. Um, Though the author of the tablet remains unidentified, it is widely accepted that the Emerald Tablet was translated into numerous numerous languages throughout the ages, with the most notable form being the Latin version, Tabula Smarag. Smaragdina, which appeared in medieval alchemical manuscripts from as early as the 12th century. At the heart of the Emerald Tablet's lore is the enigmatic concept of the Philosopher's Stone, a fabled talisman that has been claimed to possess the power to transmute base metals into gold and bestow the gift of immortality upon those who wield it, also featured in the relevant Harry Potter film. Um, the tablet is said to be inscribed with the cryptic ver- with cryptic verses that, when correctly interpreted, reveal the secret to achieving both the conversion of base substances and the extension of life. This elusive text has garnered significant attention from an al- from alchemists throughout history, including prominent fig- figures such as Sir Isaac Newton, Newton and Roger Bacon, um, who allegedly grappled with deciphering its mysterious code. The notion that the Emerald Tablet is hidden within the secret archives is a tantalizing element within the tapestry of its mythology. Believed to house innumerable rare documents and manuscripts, the Catholic Church has been, I mean, it's concealed loads. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's worth considering. Um, wow. 
I'm not. I'm not even going to answer that one. <laughs> I don't want to get myself into trouble. <laughs> but it is worth considering whether the emerald tablet is a literal object, um, right, or okay. if it's a symbol for a deeper understanding of nature and the cosmos that is accessible only to those with the wisdom and de determination to seek it. Regardless of where the truth behind the emerald tablet resides, the symbolic poetry of this enig enigmatic ar artifact cannot be denied. It represents the eternal quest for knowledge and mastery over the elements and the unwavering human pursuit of meaning, understanding and transcendence in the ever-unfolding tapestry of existence. So that's, it's okay. one of those things that it's just rumours. No one's, no one's ever claimed it's translated text that is probably being translated and retranslated. Um, I found it fascinating that there were rumours that it came from Atlantis. Um, but again, it's all just rumours and speculation. Um, so the next one, where are we? Oh, I just wanted to, I found a really good picture, just going back to Dan Brown for a minute. Uh-huh. Um, and this is a slight... Slight tangent because it's got nothing to do with the secret archives. But as I was doing the research, I found this really great picture of the the Last Supper. Yeah. Um, which is supposedly Da Vinci. Was it Da Vinci or I think it was yeah, Leonardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Leonardo Da Vinci uh -huh. hinting at um the gender. Well, it's it's supposedly. <laughs> This is a guy. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, no, hang on. Let me just... Whoa, wait a minute. Back Can you zoom, are you I'm able to, to zoom in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a guy. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, that's supposed, supposed to be a guy. <laughs> um, also, <laughs> this is the Last Supper. Because this this is also surrounding the Dan Brown thing. Where, um, yeah, I know. The, 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 the Holy Grail... It's not actually an object. Notice, yeah, the no holy cup. Yeah, the holy grail is a deadline, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, and and it's the, the yeah, and then the you've got the V. Yeah, you've got the V. You've got the lack of the the cup. Mm -hmm. You've got this distinctly feminine-looking mm -hmm. person who's actually yeah. supposed to be. The church will tell you that's a guy. That's Admiral Rachel Levine. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It looks way better than that. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, and I don't quite know why I put that particular slide there, but it, it's, yeah, just a little little side note. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, the whole thing's a bit um, antagonistic though, isn't it? They're all fighting with each other, apart from JC, who's sitting in the middle going, just chill, dudes, just chill. But that's—I mean, he's—he's—he's the—he's the savior, and the other ones are all bickering about who's his best friend. Yeah, I know, I know. Did you ever? Humans. Did you ever? Did you ever watch the movie Jesus Christ Superstar, or the the musical? I I did many 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 years ago. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It it, it really opened my eyes up to what the church isn't. You know, I I, I quite I quite no. enjoyed it. And and it gave me a a, a deep a, a deeply held respect for Judas. 
and, and, and no, and, and you know, don't get me wrong here, right? Because Judas is a, he's actually a great analogy for what's going on in the world right now, and that a lot of people did really bad and evil things because they thought they were doing the right thing. I, yeah, I mean, I've, I've you know what I mean? kind of, yeah, no, I do. I mean, as I've said before, I'm, I'm not a, I wouldn't classify myself as a religious person in the sense that I'm a yeah. Christian or anything like that. But in the last three years, mm-hmm. the only way that I've been able to make sense of what's been going on is actually to think of it in terms of good and evil and Satan. Well, I, and I, I think if, if there's... Yeah, if even that kind of evil, there has yeah. to be good. Well, yeah, you're right. And and the thing is, just because people think they're doing the right thing doesn't mean they're not doing evil. You know, and that's the problem because it doesn't excuse their evil actions. And that's why that's why we shouldn't excuse their evil actions and why they should be held to account. But unfortunately, in the society we live in, these people don't get held to account. They basically get but a free they, pass. But I mean, look at well, Tony Blair. He gets a free pass. Mm-hmm. Look at Josh. I mean, look, yeah. at, look what Kerry came out with. I'm sorry, we're going a bit topical, but look what Kerry came out with only this week. You know, the the well, that the, is Graham. Well, yeah, but but John Kerry came out with a thing. You know, America admits that it was an illegal invasion of Iraq by the US, right, and, and Britain and the Allies. That was an illegal invasion, and they admit that, but it wasn't a war crime because George Bush didn't get charged. That's what Kerry said. That's why it wasn't I, a war I crime. Completely, I missed that one completely in the that, news. That's just, <laughs> that's totally. just incredible. Absolutely it's, incredible. Uh, and, and this yeah, is what Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell are getting off on as well. It wasn't a war crime because they never get charged. Yeah, and and this is <laughs> this is exactly what's going to happen with people like Matt Hancock and Boris and, and you know everybody down the line Trudeau or them. Nobody's that's, ever going to be able like to say because it wasn't a crime because nobody ever got charged. Yeah, it's like saying like, this guy got murdered, but he wasn't really murdered <laughs> because nobody ever got charged for it. He just died. Yeah, well, it, it's like it's, it, well, it, it's like saying that all Jack the Ripper's victims died of natural causes because they oh. got caught. Oh, you, we've got another one to do. I know we've already done Ripper. Oh no, we've got another one to do, and and this is not a joke, right? And this is is real, and it happened, and it's called Jack the Stripper. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's real. It's it's in the list. Remember that list of stuff I sent you? It's in there. Jack the Stripper. Look, we're not covering porn stars. He's not. He's not. No, 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 it's not. He's a serial killer. It's it's exactly like Jack the Ripper, except he's he he was he was, in the the popular press nicknamed him Jack the Stripper because he left all his victims naked. I didn't even know about that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's actually it's from the sixties, so it's even more topical. Okay, yeah. Now we can cover that one for sure. Yeah. Jack the um, Stripper. Right. <laughs> Back to the Vatican. Right, okay. Next up. 
Now, now, now we're mixing rabbit holes because this is aliens and the church. Oh my but God! According to various searches sources, contact between the church and alien life forms has been occurring since time immemorial. Okay. In the Middle Ages, religious texts and artifacts reportedly contained symbols and references to non-human entities visiting Earth. There are also some religious paintings that have clear UFOs in them. Um, and these references were typically interpreted as apparitions or visitations from angels and other divine beings. However, some theorists argue that these encounters were in fact the fruit of meetings between church representatives and extraterrestrial beings with advanced wisdom and knowledge sought after by the church to solidify its power. The alleged meetings were said to have taken place in numerous clandestine locations, including secluded monasteries, remote mountain churches, and even secret rooms within the Vatican itself. These encounters were strictly restricted to high-ranking members of the clergy, and considering the, ram the ramifications of disclosing the existence of alien life to the public. Furthermore, the church's power was heavily reliant on its theological and and philosophical doctrines acknowledging non-human intelligence would profoundly challenge their authority. Just like the Earth not being at the center of the universe. As purported in the conspiracy theories and secret what? meetings between the church... What? <laughs> you mean it's not? What, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Let's not go there. Otherwise, we're just going to be here for hours. <laughs> Now, the secret meetings between the church and extraterrestrials involved sharing advanced technology and knowledge in exchange for ensuring public submission and into the religious doctrines. Rumors abound that the Vatican has, has access to advanced technology provided by these meetings, featuring teleportation, anti-gravity, and even time travel devices. Possibly chronovisor, who knows? Yet, despite the alleged presence of otherworldly technology, the church is said to have buried this knowledge within its to maintain the status quo and its authority. The supposed existence of encrypted records documenting such interactions between the church and alien life forms within the Vatican secret archives continues to fuel public speculation. These records are said to contain conversations between the Pope and alien ambassadors, policy decisions influenced by the meetings, sketches of extraterrestrial beings and artifacts that have been collected over the years. Although there is no concrete evidence to support these theories, the cryptic nature of the Vatican has undoubtedly nurtured the notion of hidden knowledge, inaccessible even to the most determined historians and researchers. Pope Francis himself has added fuel to the fire with his comment in 2014 that if Martians wish to receive baptism, they should not be denied the opportunity. He actually said that. Um, this statement has prompted further discussions about the church's potential knowledge of extraterrestrial life and potential dealings with extraterrestrial visitors. But maybe Despite he was maybe he was just thinking. Maybe he'd been looking in the chronovisor, right? And he'd seen that Elon Musk has colonized Mars, and when the people come by that have never been on Earth before, they call them Martians. That's a fair point. Well, yeah, if you're thinking ahead, yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that's, that's, big well, brain, logical big sense. brain. <laughs> Assuming he can get through the Van Allen belt, which I, I have, I have asked old Musk on Twitter a few times about the Van Allen belt, so I just get ignored, so. Oh, <laughs> do you watch any of our shows at all? 
Uh, yes, not as many as I should. Uh, th- th- you didn't catch the one about how many how many launches he has to make in order to get his lander to the moon. No, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm sorry, people, if we're going off topic, but he has to make some estimates. Reckon. So what what happens is you you know how a, a space a rocket works. It burns fuel to get into low Earth orbit, right? But it burns a hell of a lot of fuel to get into low Earth orbit, and it can't carry enough fuel to get all the way to the moon. Unlike the Saturn V, which allegedly could, right? <laughs> so, so which still wasn't as big as what Werner von Braun originally predicted would be needed. Yeah, job. I think it was about a third of the size. In fact, there's another mm-hmm. rabbit hole we could add to Less. the list, right? But anyway, so, so Musk's massive rocket, which is bigger than a Saturn V, right? What what it will do? It will launch and put the lander into low earth orbit and the lander will then be tanked from space by tankers which will be fired up from well a tanker will be launched but the tanker will use most of the fuel that it carries to get into low earth orbit so the tanker is basically going to be empty right so then musk will launch other rockets to fill the tanker up. And some estimates are saying he's going to need 16 rocket launches to fill the tanker to then fill the, the, the lunar lander stage, which is then going to go to the moon and land on it and get and come back. Now that... How, how did we get there in 1969? How? <laughs> if he's going to... Yeah, we did it with one rocket, and he's going to take what? That's what? 16 rockets for fuel, and one for the tanker, and one for the lander. That's 18 rockets for him to get to the moon. Just And that's not the one that takes the people. That's the one that's just going to go and land, and then the Artemis is going to come along, dock with it, and, and the people are going to go down to the surface, right? So the Artemis is completely separate from this. So what the hell is going on here? This is this is like we're going to need like what thirty rockets to get to the moon and back. I this I would just refer refer the listeners to our previous rabbit hole on the moon landing. Yeah, yeah, I that, think so. That, that was a fun one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, right, we're we're on the last of the nine that I picked. So let let's get through right. this one. Yeah, let's get see through. how much time we've got left. Um, okay, the last one I picked was. Demon possession files, which I thought would be fun. Oh, have you have you got Father now, Martin Malachi in here? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Right. Okay. Carry on. I can't remember off the top of my head. Let's go through it. Okay. Um. Now, little is known of the vast trove of records held within the Vatican's secret archives, as they house some of the most classified information pertaining to events that have shaped the course of human history. One particular set of documents that has increased intrigued scholars for centuries involves malevolent entities and demonic possession. Though the public has been granted only a limited view into the archives, several accounts have explored the existence of these files of these files that detail in vivid horror the church's encounter with demons throughout the ages. It is believed that the first mention of demonic possession dates back to biblical times but the actual understanding of certain incidents became clearer in the late Middle Ages, around the 15th to 16th centuries. The Church's approach to such otherworldly entities began to evolve. 
with distinctions being drawn between possession and other psychological disorders. Alas, this did not halt the march of inquisitors or the burning of innocents accused of consorting with dark forces. In the secret archives are said to be detailed accounts of the cases of demonic possession that have come to the attention of the church, painstakingly chronicled by priestly scribes. These manuscripts provide a chilling insight into the horror faced by those who have confronted the demons head-on. It is said that many have fallen in the line of duty, forced to take on the powers of darkness with nothing more than their faith and their sacred rights as their weapons. One noteworthy account concerns the possession of the the Louvier convent in the 17th century uh, in France. Sister Madeleine Bavon and several other nuns were accused of being possessed by demons after experiencing uncontrollable fits and convulsions. As the hysteria grew, an investigation by the local bishop was launched. Sordid allegations of sexual misdeeds oh. and Satanism were hurled around with abandon, reminiscent of the Salem witch trials. Ultimately, a lurid tale of depravity, torture, and exorcisms emerged. Whilst the story of the Louvier possession is well known partly due to the salacious details that were leaked to the general public during the time, there are countless more cases that have remained shrouded in secrecy within the confines of the secret archives. It is believed that, far, that many are far more disturbing and that they have been deliberately kept from public view to prevent panic or hysteria. So yeah, these files are sorry, I mean, see, see these things like the possession of the nuns, you know, that... And, and I'm spitballing here, right, and uh, no evidence to back this up other than the fact that it has happened on other occasions in different places. But this sounds exactly like some kind of um, hallucinogenic growth on something they've been eating, whether it be the wheat that they make their bread out or whatever, you know, like ergot, that kind of thing. So it sounds mm -hmm. exactly like that. You know, they, they've basically had a dose of bad mushrooms or something, and they've all gone loopy. It's entirely possible, but then there's there's all sorts of um, stories and different accounts that I've read about people being in hallucinogenic states and through that hallucinogenic state contacting mm -hmm. um, other creatures, aliens, reptiles, um, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe they did. I mean, maybe it was mold on the bread. Which is the has the ergotamine fung fungus, mm -hmm. which is yeah. how they make LSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the old story of the witches, just for another tiny little tangent. Um, the witches' brooms. I don't know if people know that that legend actually comes from uh, witches rubbing uh, the ergot fungus on broomsticks, and then because you it's poisonous, so you can't uh -huh. you can't yeah. ingest it. Yeah. Um, but if women put that on a broomstick and then rub rub their private parts with it, they basically get off their faces. Oh. And that's that's one of the that that's actually where cause probably because some normally came along and saw them dancing around on these broomsticks yeah. in the forest, and that that's where the the, I mean, the story of witches riding around on broomsticks comes from. And the question is, who first thought this up, right? And it's like it's well, like who first thought it was good? It was going to be good to drink reindeer piss. I've never had that thought, but I've I've, I've no, but, the same but, thing. But was, rain, it, was rain, it accidental? 
Right, well, rend- well <laughs> do you accidentally drink reindeer piss? Right, so reindeers, reindeers eat hallucinogenic mushrooms, right? Or hallucinogenic stuff, they ferment it. And it uh, yeah, it's mushrooms, and it comes out in their piss. And if you collect the reindeer piss and drink it, you get a high, right? Now, apparently the, the Laplanders lat go around drinking reindeer piss. And, well, you know, probably not these days, because you can buy it differently. But, you know, they used to go around drinking reindeer piss. Who only came you could up even with come it? Up with that. Well, only you could even come up with that for the podcast. He was probably someone like you. He was probably an ancient version of John. Wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> you, you've heard of ayahuasca, right? Which yeah. is which is this hallucinogenic that the South American Indians produce, okay? And, and, and I've always fancied trying that, but I ain't yeah. drinking no reindeer piss. Right, okay. But... Right, so he well, you can make psilocybin tea, so you don't need to go. You don't need to drink the reindeer piss because uh, it's, a, it's the it's the it's the red cap. That's where the you know the the one that looks like mm-hmm. the um the, the reindeers like that mushroom, so the they eat that, and you can you can make tea out of that without having to go through the reindeer piss. But the reindeer piss works really well apparently. But anyway, is that's that, is that the same as the, the Kapu Kapu Luat coffee? where the coffee beans get get eaten and crapped out by a little mammal yeah, yeah. Right, let's get back to yeah, demonic possession because I'd rather well, talk about well, that. Well, let's just let's just reindeer piss. Let's just quickly deal with ayahuasca, right? So, this is a vine, right, that contains a hallucinogenic, but it's only activated when it's boiled with another plant. Mm-hmm. To then make a tea that you drink and then go on a trip. How? How? How do you come up with that? How do you know that that plant needs that plant to activate it so that you can then go on a trip? Who comes up? I mean, has some guy been spending his whole life cutting up different plants, boiling them up and drinking the tea to see if he can get high? Really? I, sus- I suspect things like that probably happen. Knowing... Having been on the planet for 50 years nearly, and I reckon shit like that happens by accident. I think I think it just happens to be someone is someone is making one thing up and something else happens to fall into it and they have it and they get messed up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's maybe. It's Occam's, Occam's razor. I mean, yeah, keep one, us one up of the yep. things. Yeah, I mean, Occam's uh, Sir William of. Uh, of Ockham, basically, the, the simplest explanation is most likely to be the true one. But it's like it's um, like, the, but the qual- the quantities have got to be right as well. Oh, anyway, right. Let's get back to demonic possession. Let's let's jump back in there. So let's jump back into believe- the, jump back into the demons. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, we're nearly we're basically nearly nearly done with this part. Right okay. now, the belief in demonic possession has been rooted in the human psyche for centuries. It's among the most disturbing concepts to grapple with because it challenges our understanding of good and evil and the forces that seem to govern our existence. While many dismiss these tales as mere superstition or overheated imaginations, the Vatican's staunch secrecy concerning these files raises more questions than answers. As one steps back and considers the sheer number of documents hidden within the vaults of the Vatican secret archives, it is only natural to wonder at the true scope and horror of the world's stored knowledge of demons and possession. Though these files may remain locked away from public view, it's impossible to ignore the chilling thought that there may be many more cases we remain ignorant of. Many questions remain 
unanswered. However, what is certain is that the Vatican secret archives holds dark, hidden secrets that humankind might never be fully prepared to confront. And that's that was the end of that part. Right, so the new demonic possession. I mean, right, are we talking, are we really talking mental illness? Are we talking mental illness or are we talking some sort of hallucinogenic experience or are we talking about some sort of yeah. metaphysical experience or yeah. are we talking about an actual possession? I think it's it's an absolutely fascinating subject. Uh, I mean, it, it's it, there's probably a spectrum of them. I would imagine that some are probably mentally ill people. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, some of some of the stories that that have come out um, suggest something else. And I, to be honest, if you if you'd asked me four years ago what I thought about these things, mm-hmm. I had a very different view than the one that I do now. Simply having seen three years worth of just the most unbelievable evil that I could possibly imagine. I mean, you don't, who the hell needs demonic possession when you've got people like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates and George Soros running around for crying out loud. I mean, when you, when you look at these, it's, it's crazy. And when you think of that, if, if there's that kind of wickedness in the world, then the universe is about balance. So for all of the wickedness that there is in the world, there has to be an equal amount of good because that's just how things work. Yeah. Everything in the universe is about balance. And and where the universe or the planet or anything that's part of our existence, when it when it goes out of balance, it's like when your body goes out of balance, you generally come down with some sort of cold or flu. Um, hurricanes are the Earth's way of achieving balance in the atmosphere. Um, and I imagine that the same thing happens on larger and larger scales going right up to the yeah. galaxy and beyond. Because, I mean, everybody knows that we're in a pole shift at the moment, but what most a lot of people probably don't know is that the geomagnetic excursion that we're having at the moment is connected to a galactic geomagnetic event. And I can't claim to understand it, but I know I, I, I have sources that I trust that tell me it's happening. And so who knows what was words down there. And, and I mean, some of the demon stuff, I've, I've seen some absolutely fascinating videos with people like David Icke, who has a really good, I don't know how many people are iconic subscribers, but there's um, a brilliant um, interview that David Icke did with a, a Zulu shaman called Krito uh, Mutwa or something back in the 90s. And he talks about some of the the kind of ancient Southern African traditions of these reptilian creatures and it's, oh, it's absolutely fascinating stuff and I mean well, there, there, there's other stuff that needs to go on the list well, um, the Dogon the Dogon 
Definitely. We need, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to compile a list. We should probably do I it. I compiled the list. I sent you it. <laughs> well, we need to, it needs to, if it look if it didn't go into our shared folder, it didn't happen. <laughs> right. right. Okay. I think um, I think we've kind of come to a natural hiatus in tonight's show. Agreed. Um, and which I and what I want you to do, if you don't have enough material for a full episode, right? Just, I'll send you um, a link. I'll send you a link to. No, I've, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about because I'm actually reading this particular book that's up on screen at the moment. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And Pope John Paul the First's murder is is is, is like a Kennedy sized rabbit. Oh hole, right, okay, in, okay. So we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this next week. I mean, yeah. No, let's do it next yeah. week because we've right. got we've got Roberto Calvi and we've got the Vatican oh. Bank. And we okay. got these creepy looking dudes, and yeah. So next time we will do John Paul the First. Okay, yeah, same let's do that. Time same back channel. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Right, and then the, I'll send you a link. And there's a guy that we could probably do after it, or or if we wanted to continue this as a kind of mini series, um, because this guy's this guy's got definitely an episode's worth of stuff on him. Um, yeah, I'm up for that. Send, yeah. send it over to me, and, and yeah, we, do can, that. we can cover that. So um, that that that's us for tonight, people. I think that's been interesting. I hope I've not annoyed you too much um, with my question. Yeah, it because, me. It's, it's fun. Otherwise, it's I, just me talking for hours. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I must admit, it's one of my least knowledgeable topics. Um, so which is good too. which is good for me because I, I, you know every day's a school day it's great to learn something new so yeah yeah that's I one really of the reasons that I really enjoy these rabbit holes yeah no it's, mm. it, I agree um, because I didn't know a huge amount about the Vatican going into it and mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's fascinating researching this stuff yeah so and, and thank you everyone that's attended remember remember should you like these and want them to continue Feel free to donate us a small donation if you can possibly afford it at ko-fi.com forward slash Jason Descent. You see it on screen. And just as my interest, if you do it during the live shows, it will sound a siren and your message will be read out um, if you type a message in, that is. So um, remember that. And also you can you can donate to us on patreon.com forward slash Jason Descent. And from tomorrow... There'll be other things. So come along tomorrow and join all in that. And I know some of you guys um, come along just to listen to Ed because, let's face it, he's got a great voice for sending you to sleep. But apart from that, come along. <laughs> you, know, you, you know I don't mean that. Ed. But anyway, come along tomorrow night and listen to all in because it's a kind of, it's a wee bit more off the wall. We don't go into subjects quite as deeply or as intensely as we would normally. We try and have a bit of a laugh, and usually we have a... Well, pardon me. Usually I have a couple of beers, and Ben has some kind of sugary drink. Um, So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, um, come along, and and we're launching something new tomorrow, so come along. Okay. Anything to add? Thank you very much. Uh, Ed? No, I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and I hope people found it informative and tune in next week for the next episode and I will do my best to join John and Ben tomorrow. But thanks everyone for listening 
and so, it's been fun as always oh and follow me on twitter at the techie yeah. if you're not already Ed the techie you get me at, at the collector and you get ben at at disabled underscore journal i believe it is so um yeah we are we are around so follow us like and share this if you can because it really helps the algorithm and you know what really really helps if you if you jump on after the fact you know and you know if you've got five minutes of work and you're bored jump on and just make a comment because we, we read all the comments anyway but people that comment on the on the the videos make a big difference now to get to the videos on youtube you have to go to the live tab so even though it's not live you go to the live tab and you see all the live shows all the archive live shows and if you make a comment there it really helps us so jump in and make comments thanks thank you because we need you to keep talking to us to boost the 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 the, the we want to boost the audience because we love doing this and we want to keep doing it and it's the only way that we can see you're making money is you know get people to donate value for value and to try and get some ad revenue ideally i'd love to turn the ad revenue off but not enough donate and the ones that do donate you know you are appreciated and you know what you'll find out tomorrow night that you're really appreciated so with that ed thank you john thank you audience and we'll see you all next week thank you and you know what as always people it's been great for you Yeah.